Hello, Husky Nation, and welcome to Sports Illustrated's Husky Maven channel. And we have part two of the Mike and Mike show. Uh, I have Mike yeah. Yam. I have Mike Yam on with me. Uh, Mike, what are you doing these days to stay busy? Uh, you know, still covering the conference. So I, they, well, I was about to say they have to kick me out. Technically, I guess they sort of did a Pac-12 <laughs> network, but still covering the league for Sirius XM radio and working for NFL Network now. So um, I've been very, very fortunate and lucky over the last couple weeks and months. So I, I'm just thrilled, number one, to be with you, Mike. And number two, we got some ball that's, that we're knocking on the door. We've got actual football games in this conference. So I, I'm thrilled that we'll get an actual season. And, and we have a schedule, but the thing that I think is kind of funny is uh, what's going on in the SEC right now. Uh, first yeah. of all, uh, all these complaints about do they play defense out on the West Coast? Now, well, now they have Mike Leach <laughs> and they have Lane Kiffin yeah. down there running up scores. And it's like, well, do they play defense in the SEC anymore? Yeah, I, I actually, it's one of the first things that I've been thinking about over the last couple uh, weeks or so watching some of these games. I mean, I take it a step further. I was watching the Alabama game and I, I saw Sark on the sidelines and I'm thinking to myself, is Alabama football now, are they, are they built around their team's offense and not their defense? Like I think about all these years where they've had so much success and they've won national championships, you know, defensively, it's all the dudes that they continue to put into the NFL. But now all of a sudden that whole conference, and it's a good, uh, you know, observation by you, Mike, like I, I still think there's, there's more offense than defense that's playing in the SEC right now. Right. And, and so with that, we're starting to now see because they're not able to throw in those four cupcake games, uh, and, sure. and they have to play each other. And so we have Alabama, Georgia this weekend. We have a lot of uh, cannibalism going on within the SEC, which was yeah. always kind of hampering the Pac-12 in, in, the, in the playoff picture. Uh, you know, is it kind of fun? Oh, yeah. Is it kind of fun to see a little bit of the fingers getting pointed back at the SEC? You know what? I, yes, but I would caution fans on the West Coast from pointing the fingers right now because I still think at the end of the day, this is going to be an uphill battle for the Pac-12 to get a team into the college football playoff. It's been an issue the last couple of years. Bragging rights are not in this conference right now, and I wish we could make an argument that, that they are, but the fact that they haven't had a team in the playoff the last couple of years, um, the fact that it's been Washington, what, 2016, that last time that we've right. seen a team from this league being able to say that, hey, we're one of the four best in the country and deserve to be there. There's been a timeout for this conference from playing in – in that, in that final four, so to speak. And, and to be honest with you, Mike, like I think even if we're looking at an undefeated team, it's still going to be an uphill battle. I, I think there's a couple caveats here because you mentioned the SEC. Um, I, I think there's obviously Clemson has been phenomenal so far this season. I think there's a, a team like Ohio State that's going to be in the mix, a team from the SEC. Big 12 teams like they've played themselves out of the mix right now. The door is open for the Pac-12. I just get concerned about the league needing to basically be perfect over seven weeks. And by perfect, I mean not only have an undefeated team, Mike, but also not have a cancellation or a postponement. And really, there's no wiggle room for a postponement. So, you know, a cancellation of a game would be catastrophic for a team that's knocking on the door for a seven and no season. And we're seeing in other conferences right now postponements in their league. So it, the doors open, but you're still asking for, for real perfection right now in the Pac-12 in order to get one of those squads into the playoff. Well, and, and a question that I have um, is, does the Pac-12 have the right guy 
to advocate for the conference. Should it come down to uh, an undefeated 7-0 team, uh, is Larry Scott able to be uh, persuasive enough? Does he have enough weight? Does he have enough pull to really advocate to really – because a lot of times it comes down to politics. Is he going to be the right guy to get the conference into the playoff picture? Well, if you're asking if he's got enough juice in order to move the needle, I would make an argument, yeah. I mean, he's a commissioner of a Power Five conference like the Pac-12, where there has been national championships, granted not necessarily in football in recent years, but certainly across the landscape, there's a ton of respect that I think this league would get. Um, but is he going to make a push? I, I think, you know, it's that's to be determined right now. Um, you know, Larry in previous years has talked about um, parity and how important it is for this league. And, and my God, I mean, as a guy that's been around this league for almost 10 years, covering a lot of these games, parity has been awesome on, on a Saturday, but I've always been one to argue, look, give me one or two premier teams and let's see what happens. Can we get into that big dance? Can we make the playoffs? And, um, you know, that hasn't always been, been the case. So look, and I know you and I, Michael, probably going to go through the schedule here in a minute. Whoever made the schedule and the input that they got, I think they did a phenomenal job because if you want to say perception-wise, who are the teams to beat? Media poll comes out, and what do they have? They got Oregon, and they got USC. I'd make an argument that their path to try to get not only a perfect undefeated season heading into that championship game, um, they, they exist for those teams. In previous years, you know, the best teams in this conference have had landmines all over their schedule. And I'm not suggesting that those two teams don't have difficult opponents. They do. But by and large, it's not a world beater schedule that we've seen for some of the better teams in this conference over the last couple of years. So I do think that there was, I don't want to say a concerted effort to try to make schedules easier. I'm not, I won't go that far. I do think the schedules line up pretty nicely. But to get back to your question on Larry Scott, I would hope that Larry's pushing pretty hard. You know, that story came out, I know when they had the webinar and they were talking about a, they released the schedule, they didn't release the schedule, they, it talked about the fact that they were reversing course and would have a season. I think it was Andy Staples that went pretty hard in the pain at Larry Scott saying, hey, aren't you supposed to be the guy that's campaigning and making it obvious that, that you know, your league should be included in the college football playoff and then they should expand the playoff. Um, Larry kind of backtracked, I thought, it was some of his comments, but then just a couple days later, it's a meeting with, with commissioners from uh, various conferences across the country, and Larry made a push and said, hey, can we expand? Now, the timing of it wasn't great because it, it got rejected and it's not going to happen for this season, but to me, that's disappointing. I would have loved to see the playoff expand this year, um, and I do think if there's a team that's knocking on the door – I don't know who that guy is going to be, but someone in that conference office has to give Larry as many talking points as possible. I think he should be on every radio show. I think he should do your show. I think he should be on every national show talking about not only the strength of this conference and why uh, to navigate the seven-game schedule is really difficult, but also the fact that we have some of the premier teams in this league. Oregon is stacked right now. I think there's less questions about Jimmy Lake's defense than maybe other defenses in this league right now. USC has got talent. Herm Edwards and the job that he's done um, at ASU. There, there are some teams right now that can compete. And after the, some of the football that you just made reference to, Mike, that's happening in the SEC conference, why not a team from the Pac-12? I just get concerned with seven games and the other leagues playing more, are there going to be enough of those data points to make a push and a legit argument from, for a perfect team in the Pac-12? And, and that really kind of, uh, I wonder, there is no wiggle room. They always say that five plays will determine your season. It, you don't have five plays this year. You have 
one mistake. And I mean, every game is a play in game. And so, you know, no there's no wiggle room. I totally agree with you. I would say there's wiggle room to win a championship, a league championship. There's zero wiggle room in my mind to get to the playoff. I just don't see, and, and look, I know that there's more games that need to be played and who knows, maybe we are talking about some more cannibalization uh, in the other conferences like we've seen in the Big 12. But by and large, I find it hard to believe a 6-1 and one Pac-12 championship will be included if the other teams, you know, straight up only have one loss. And there's never been a two-loss team that's been in the playoff. Maybe this is the year that that happens. But without enough games in the Pac-12, I don't know if, if they're going to be able to leapfrog some of those other teams. But I do think there's some wiggle room. You know, if USC and ASU, whoever loses that football game, I'm not willing to say that they don't have a chance to go and still take that division. I think you're going to see players – um, and I hope this doesn't happen, but I think it's just because of the nature of what we're dealing with in this country right now with the, with the pandemic. Some players are going to test positive for COVID. I don't think anyone goes into the season expecting that not to be the case. And maybe this league actually catches more of those cases um, because of the, the high-powered nature of the testing that they have and that partnership with Quidel. Um, but I, I just don't know, Mike, if a team loses one game, if I'm willing to write them off for, for a Pac-12 championship. I think there's going to be a little bit of chaos um, during that seven game or the six games leading up to that championship in that seventh week. Chaos, I think, will reign supreme. Well, let's dig into the, the schedule just a little bit. Um, sure. Looking at week one, uh, the Huskies opened with Cal last year. Husky fans went into the game thinking, man, this is going to be a great game. It was all set up, and then the lightning struck. Well, the Huskies oh, now yeah. – <laughs> well, now the pandemic struck, and they, the Huskies travel – to Berkeley to play Cal. Uh, there are some other games, though. Washington, excuse me, Oregon plays Stanford. In Eugene, Wazoo hosts the Beavers. Of those three games, who do you think probably has it the toughest? God, you know, I'm thinking about that lightning game. And what did that game finish up? Almost like 2 a.m. It was my first time. I was at Pac-12 Network when they launched in 2012. So eight football seasons nine years at the conference. It was the only time I watched the Pac-12 game on a Saturday night in bed. Um, and I think that thing finished up at 1.30 and Chase Garber's just dealing. I mean, just so, so many critical throws. And I think that was a little bit of a wake-up call for the rest of the conference that Cal is legit. I would point to that game in particular. And week one is, is probably uh, the most intriguing matchup and the most difficult matchup to really go and pick. I mean, Washington right now, Still some questions at that quarterback spot. Less of an issue at Cal because Garbers is there, although they do have a new offensive coordinator. Um, to me, I, I, I lean towards Cal in that football game because I, I, just, I think there's less questions right now. Now, look, if Washington goes and wins that football game, I'm not going to be surprised. I think the, the one fascinating thing that we've learned over the last couple months, even pre-pandemic, not only – I'd say this, Jim, Jimmy Lake's probably got as much swag, if not more swag, than any coach in this conference. When Chris Peterson decides to step down, they don't lose one recruit in that class. And to me, that speaks volumes of the type of recruiter and the type of person that Jimmy Lake is. Is he going to be able to figure out this offense with a new quarterback, with a new OC in week one on the road? I, I think it's a tall task, um, but to me, that's, that's – I don't want to say the best game, but I would say probably the hardest one to handicap. Right. And, and with, with being down in Cal, the crowd, I don't know that has really ever been a factor. I think that 
that and no fans this year too. Yeah. Yeah. So that that won't be they won't have to be breaking in a new quarterback on the road against a hostile crowd. Um, but between uh, that that Cal game and the end of the season, uh, where they play Oregon. Who do you think, or which game do you think is going to be the toughest in the season? For Washington? Yes. Or just in general? Yes, for the uh, – You know, to me, those are, it's, it's the start and the finish. I mean, Cal, we, we just talked about here. Oregon, to me, there, there's an opportunity here. I made reference to ASU and USC. Whoever loses that game still has got a chance to go and win the Pac-12 uh, championship game. I, I'd make the same argument for – a Washington and an Oregon game. I, I I look at that game at the end of the season and say that's that could decide who's going to be um, not only winning that North, but who's got who gets to go and play, um, you know, for a championship. To me, that those are the two matchups that are there. And I think there's a world where Oregon has been hyped up so much. If they live up to the hype, you know, they're an undefeated team in there. I mean, and look, we can talk about rivalries. We can talk about the Civil War. Um, and the rivalry that Oregon has with Oregon State, Mike, you and I both know the rivalry with Oregon is, is Washington. Those, those two schools, I remember being in Seattle um, over the last couple of years for some of our shows and some of those games. I was in a, uh, a Starbucks um, not far from campus and was just kind of getting ready in the morning for the show. And I see a sea of, of purple, which you expect in Seattle before a game. I got to tell you, I'm in that Starbucks and two Duck fans walk in. I swear. Mike, I had I heard two fans go. I can't be in the Starbucks. There's Oregon people in here, and they walked out. Like I couldn't get over the disdain that was there, and I just started laughing. And I said, "Hey, man, everyone talks about the rivalries and how much it means in other conferences. If that, if you get Washington fans can't even be in the same store as Oregon fans because of they're wearing the green. There's there's some tension between those two programs. So See, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you actually point, heard me say yeah. that. <laughs> you know, I I thought it, you looked kind of familiar once uh, once you're storming out of that Starbucks. You left your latte on the uh, on the counter as well. But um, to me, it still comes down to week one, and then that final week, week six, I should say, not the final week, that week six matchup uh, for Washington. Those to me are the standout games that are on their schedule right now. The rest of the meat of that schedule, they're winnable. Stanford could be tough for them as well. Um, I think that's a week five game. But generally speaking, outside of Cal and Oregon, I would imagine that Washington's probably going to be favored. Um, and pretty much the, the, the rest of the meat of that sandwich and that schedule. All right. And for, for, the, for the Pac-12 North, it sounds like Oregon's your favorite, yeah. but you wouldn't be surprised yeah. if Washington uh, won. Uh, who would you or Cal. Your, or Cal. Who, who would be your dark horse? In the North, it's Cal. Um, to me, you know, a year ago before the season started, I was saying a lot on Pac-12 Network and on SiriusXM that I didn't think Cal was going to win the league, but they were going to decide who was going to win that division. And and that is that's actually it's it's very rare when I can tout something that I said and was actually accurate. So I'm going to go with that one, and I'm going to stick with it until I can't say it anymore. So I'm going to plug it in here here. Um, but but Cal to me, um, you know, defensively, I. I I don't doubt what Justin Wilcox has done with that team. And the fact that they've recruited heavily, not only at the tight end spot, but that wide receiver spot, they're going to need some contributions, some vertical threats down the football field, explosive plays. That's what limited that team a season ago and the health of Chase Garbers. The fact that I feel better about that unit in terms of the wide receivers and Garbers coming back to me makes them a dangerous squad. They're going to be led by their defense. And we know that. And in a year where there's so much unpredictability, 
give me the known commodities and, and Cal is a dark horse, I think is, is a fair assessment. All right, now let's look real quickly at the South. Uh, sure. Favorite sounds like Arizona State and USC. Yeah, yeah, those are the two teams in that division right now. I, I'd point, like if you said to me, you're drafting a quarterback, Mike, who's the guy, who's the, who's the player you're taking? Most people would probably lean towards Keaton Slovis. And if you took Slovis, uh, give me Jaden. Uh, you know, Jaden Daniels to me has got, there's such a moxie around him and the moment never seemed too big for him in his freshman campaign. Herm Edwards has said it, hey, we're going to shift the identity of this team. For a few seasons there, Herm was, go run the football, run the football. It was an offense built around, you know, Benjamin. And that's even when Manny Wilkins was still their quarterback. Um, J- this is Jaden's team. And I think his ability to create is really special. As much as I love Keaton Slovis, and I think Keaton is going to put up monster numbers. I think about that scheme and I think about, how it's like he's going to be a video game player out there this year. The numbers are going to be staggering. Those are still the two best guys, I think, in the conference at that position. Um, I think there's more offensive weapons that Slovis has at his disposal. I think Toro Orlando is going to have his work cut out for him on a defense that's got, um, you know, had some issues, which is why Clay Hilton had to go and make a change. But to me, those are the two teams I give a slight advantage right now uh, to USC. But, you know, I, I think it's just because I have less questions about that team. You know, ASU too also had a lot of issues on their offensive line a season ago. They need to grow up and they need to grow up really fast to try to help protect Jaden and try to secure some sort of running attack. Well, I tell you what, when, when he hit that, uh, when Arizona hit state hit that game winner against Oregon last year, uh, he could have run for governor in the state of Washington. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that that would be the case. You know, like that's that other thing. When you think about those schedules, and I know we started talking about, you know, uh, the schedule like for a team like Oregon. I mean, think about this, because you made reference to the SEC and, and playing sometimes the Little Sisters of the Poor um, in their non-conference schedule. You know, when, when Oregon's going down ASU, forget what week that was, you know, call it week, you know, 10 or whatever week it was. It was towards the end of the season. You know, Alabama sitting there and going playing like South Alabama. You know, that's a tough road game to go down to Tempe in the desert against that team. But that's the difference between, you know, this conference and, and you know, a conference like the SEC in terms of that total number of, of conference games. All right. And now in the South, who's your dark horse? You know, I look, I just touted ASU. I still think USC, they were the team in the media poll that I voted for. Um, I don't I don't know. Is ASU a dark horse? I think they got a lot of love and attention. They would be the team that I would pick next. Um, you know, I, you know, I think just generally in this conference, I never doubt a Kyle Whittingham team. I, I think we've learned over the last couple seasons or so they're built on their defense. They have a lot of loss, though, in terms of talent from from last year's team. But recruiting has been good for them. Their player development is second to none in this conference. So, you know, as much as, you know, there's questions at the quarterback spot, you'd make an argument. People around that program would tell you, you know, in the 25 years that Kyle Winningham has been with that team, they might not have the best quarterback. And I'm not suggesting that because Alex Smith was obviously there, but the depth in that quarterback room, this might be the deepest the room has ever been in, in the last quarter century. So, I, I think there's some positives. So if you're going to tell me, hey, pick another dark horse in this conference, Utah, I think we would make that list. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the thing that we have established here is those teams that are both uh, – those are I would agree with you on those dark horses. Those are mine as well. And those are defensive-minded teams. 
uh, and we, we saw that with with um, with Utah and Washington two years ago in the Pac-12 conference sure. game, where it was I think it was uh, 10-7 or so, something yeah. like that. Slug, defensive slugfest, yeah. Yeah, and of course, then then the SEC is saying uh, they don't play offense out on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. make up your mind when you're going to be critical of teams that that you're not staying up late to go and to go and watch. And that's going to be another equation too in the schedule. These 9 a.m. kickoffs, like how do teams adjust um, in that world, is going to be interesting. I got one other team for you, and I I won't take claim to this. I was doing a show with Evan Moore on Sirius XM Radio the other day, and Evan felt like UCLA was a team that could make a run and the reasoning behind it i thought was compelling he went through an analysis of the entire um, roster they've been young under chip kelly the last two years but dtr you got another you know it's another season for him at the helm this would be the year that you would imagine dorian thompson robinson their their quarterback could break out uh and i thought i just thought it was an interesting pick because i hadn't heard ucla a whole lot that that's one that I have considered. I think that yeah. um, not a dark horse, but I may maybe a long shot. Um, yeah, and, and maybe even Wazoo in the North could be a long, or even Oregon State because those. Uh, I mean, especially Oregon State, they have stockpiled a lot of talent on that offense. If they can find a serviceable defense, then I think they could be a threat as well. Look, strides for Jonathan Smith's defense last season. You saw it. They've done a great job with some transfers that they brought into that program. And for as much as I think in a year where there's been so much unknown because of COVID and the stop start, we're not going to play, we are going to play, the known commodities, right? Like to me, it's meaningful. If you got a, a returning head coach, returning offensive coordinator or coordinators and a, and a quarterback, that position is so vital. There's an advantage that's there. A lot of loss for Oregon State. Um, I think Jonathan Smith is as good of a coach that there is in this conference and doesn't get enough credit for the job that he's done. But let's not forget, Tristan Jebby has been around that program. A, a year ago, I thought he was going to be the starting quarterback in week one. I saw Coach Smith at an event um, before the season started. I said, oh, you know, Tristan taking, you know, first teams is going to be starting week one. And Jonathan kind of smiled and said, I, I don't know if he's going to be our starter in week one. He's like, we got a real competition on campus. And that was intriguing to me. But Jebby uh, – Look, I get it. It's the first year he's going to be starting with this team, but he's got that experience. He's been around that program. So I, I think Oregon State is there too. And hell, we haven't even talked about Stanford. So the, the North right now is loaded. I think there's more options for a dark horse long shot in the North than there is the South. To me, it's still sort of that, that two team, two and a half team race um, with ASU, USC, and, and Utah. All right. Well, beautiful. Thank you very much for coming on uh, yeah, uh, Husky Maven channel. How can people follow you on social media? Yeah, uh, both on Instagram and Twitter, same handle at Mike underscore Yam. And I love hearing from a lot of the fans and, and hopefully they'll be able to catch some of our shows on the Pac-12 on Pac-12 radio on Sirius XM. Beautiful. Thank you. Anytime.